Uh, Take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22. While you're turning there, let me uh, encourage you, uh, don't close it and put it away uh, after we've read uh, the chapter. You'll need it open. Uh, we'll, we'll be flipping other places. Uh, we won't stay just in Genesis 22. So let me encourage you to keep your copy of God's Word handy. Um, as you know, it's our practice to stand when we read God, God's Word. So if you're able, I do intend to read just about the whole chapter. Uh, so if you're able, uh, please stand for the reading of God's Word. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar There and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men. And they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. 
the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. We pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would teach us, that we might understand this, your word, this which you have inspired Moses to write, which you have preserved for us, that you would now use it to work in our hearts, that we too would be doers of your word and not hearers only. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I guess it's a um, common question. <clears throat> Reaping the benefits of eating too, too many donuts during fellowship time this morning. Um, I guess it's a common question when you're, uh, yes, I had more than I should. I apologize. Um, how, I mean, you can, you've, you've, most of you have been there at some point or another. How do I know if she's the one? Or, or how do I know if he's the one for me? How do I know if she's really interested in me or not? It's a common question. It's a question most of us have asked at some point or another in our lives. Amy Adams' character in Enchanted asked the question, uh, how does she know that you love her? Uh, Whitney Houston asked, how, does, um, how will I know if he really loves me? And probably Extreme gave us the answer. Um, sometimes it's not enough just to say. Sometimes we need more than words. Sometimes we need evidence, we need action, we need, we're looking for evidence or, or, or proof that she really does like me, that, that she really is the one. We need evidence, proof of, of wholehearted commitment, and not just to hear the words of commitment. That's essentially this passage. That's essentially Genesis 22. That's essentially what is going on in this chapter. The first thing we see, notice verse 1, we see tested faith. We know something that Abraham doesn't know. We have access to information. Moses told us something that nobody else knows, that Abraham doesn't know at the time. Verse 1, the first part of verse 1 is for us. We're told that God tested Abraham. We know that this, that this command to sacrifice Isaac is a test. Maybe you're kind of thinking to yourself, wait, 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 hold on one second. Would you really just say that God tested Abraham? Okay, first of all, God's omniscient. I mean, doesn't God know everything? So why does he have to test Abraham? Like That doesn't make sense to me. Those two, those two things don't seem to fit together. But you're also thinking, Wait, so hold on, is he trying to trap Abraham? Is he trying to catch Abraham doing something he shouldn't do? Is he trying to set up a test for Abraham that, that he knows Abraham is going to fail? That's, we read that 
right off the bat, the, the first sentence, after these things, God tested Abraham, and we struggle a little bit. In fact, the skeptic would gladly read this and go, what kind of a God is it that you serve that he would take Abraham, his star pupil, and test him and, and try to get him to trip up? Well, we're told in James 1, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. Now reconcile those. i got one verse telling me that, that God is testing Abraham. I've got another verse telling me that God can't tempt people. How do those two fit together? That Those can't both be true. See, your Bible contradicts itself. Except, there's a difference between testing and tempting. You and I have three enemies. We've we've pointed out our enemies before. We've mentioned them. The world, the flesh, and the devil. They are out to get you. Just know that. I mean, the world, the flesh, the devil, they want nothing more than your destruction. They want nothing more than your demise. They are intent on our failure. They tempt us. We're tempted by the world. We're tempted by the flesh. We're tempted by the devil. They want us to fail. That's not what God wants from us or from Abraham. Testing has sort of the opposite aim. Temptation is intent on your failure. Testing is hoping for your you you to pass, hoping for you to do well. It's, It's checking your commitment. Testing reveals what we're really like, what our character really is. This is true in school, right? Students, you take tests at school. You don't take tempts. You take tests. I need to see what he knows. I need to see what he understands. Teachers, you give tests because you're not trying to destroy... Going to destroy these students of mine. I'll show them a thing or two, giving them a really hard. No, you, you want to know what they know and understand. God sets out to test Abraham, to reveal what's really going on in Abraham's heart, to reveal his heart through his actions. You remember what Jesus said. It's not the stuff that goes into you that makes you unclean. It's the stuff that comes out of you that makes you unclean because the stuff that comes out of you is your actions, your words. Those things reflect what's really going on inside your heart. They reveal the truth of your heart. God is testing Abraham. He doesn't want Abraham's failure. He intends to show, to reveal the truth, the depth of Abraham's heart. But remember, Abraham doesn't know that. You know that, and and I know that, because Moses tells us that, but Abraham doesn't know that. All he knows is that he has been commanded by God to take his son, his only son, the son whom he loves, Isaac, and offer him as a burnt offering. Years have passed since Genesis 21. 
surely you realize when Abraham took the wood and set it on Isaac, surely you didn't think, okay, yeah, this is you know, the day after chapter 21, and so Isaac's three. And, and God's making his three-year-old son carry that. No, it's, it's years later. Isaac's probably a teenager, probably 15, 16 years old. The son of the promise. The promised seed. The one through whom just in the last chapter, in fact, for that matter, just the last time God spoke to Abraham in Genesis, the very last thing we hear God say to Abraham is, Ishmael's not the one, Isaac is the one, he's the one through whom your promised seed will come. We waited 25 years right alongside Abraham for that son of the promise to be born. And in the very next chapter, that son, in Abraham's mind, is going to his death. Abraham is being tested. He's told to to offer his only son, his one and only beloved son, Isaac, as a burnt offering, a sacrifice. If it were me, clearly God prevented this in His command to Isaac. Because I'd be listening to the command going, alright, how can I finagle Ishmael into this responsibility and, and get Isaac out of it? How can I interpret God's Word that I sacrifice Ishmael and not Isaac? I'd really rather sacrifice this you know, this other son of mine, the son of the flesh, the son... But you hear God's command. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. There's no way around it. We see tested faith. But we also see exercised faith. In all likelihood... Abraham didn't sleep much that night. Would you? I mean, would, would you? You're lying in bed at night, and, and you know we have a hard enough time sort of you know getting the math test out of our mind, or, or getting the, the the tire that needs to be fixed, or the oil that needs to be changed, or whatever. I mean, there's there's stuff in our head, and and we have a hard enough time falling asleep at night with those thoughts. Imagine falling asleep at night with oh, and by the way, tomorrow when you get up, you're going to take your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and offer him as a burnt offering. In all likelihood, Abraham didn't sleep much. He gets up early the next morning. He doesn't wait. He doesn't delay. Uh, he gets up early. Um, it's probably, you can imagine, the most difficult day of his life. He once, just in the last chapter, made Ishmael leave. He was told to, to send Ishmael away. That was a, was a difficult struggle for him. We're told it was. And now the other son, the one that's left, the son of the promise, now he's going to die on an altar as a burnt offering. So I get it. Abraham rose early the next morning, verse 3, because he probably didn't sleep a whole lot. I, I, I totally get that. But notice, notice what's missing 
from chapter 22, Abraham has a pattern. And he breaks the pattern in this chapter. Do me a favor. Just really quick, quick survey. Turn back to Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, we read in the very beginning, verses 1 and 2, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And notice Abram's response. O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And then look down at verse uh, 8. Again, verse 7. Uh, And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of uh, Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Notice twice in chapter 15, he speaks back asking for clarification. He, He, in essence, argues back with God. Look at chapter 17. In verse 15, God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, You shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become, uh, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his knees and laughed, and said to himself, "Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old, and Sarah who is ninety? Turn to chapter 18, verse 10. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent uh, door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with her. So Sarah laughed to herself. Do you see it? There's a pattern of of questioning God every time he gets a, a new command. Every time God speaks to him. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. And in the very next verse, Abraham speaks back. But, but wait, but hold on. Or there's laughter. That's absent here in chapter 22. That's, after, that's absent in this passage. Abraham doesn't argue. He doesn't laugh. He doesn't scoff. He doesn't question. He doesn't ask anything. He simply obeys. The toughest test I think he could be given. There's no argument. There's no question. There's no debate. There's faith in action. And notice too, it's one thing to obey in the moment. It's it's one thing to obey in an instant um, it's, it's one thing to react with obedience. It's another thing for the kind of intentional, thoughtful commitment that Abraham gives in this passage. In verse 3, he actually takes the time to get up and, and cut wood and gather some men to go with him and get the donkey and saddle the donkey and get Isaac. And then we're told, verse 4, it's a three-day walk. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes. Three days, he finally sees, there's the place. There's Mount Moriah. There's where I'm supposed to go. For the last three days, he's had in mind, I'm killing my son. I'm killing my son. I'm killing my son. How many times could he have turned around? 
I would have gladly said, forget it. I'm going back home. Three days of of wholehearted commitment. Truth is, I hope for my own weak faith's sake that Abraham had his doubts. Moses doesn't tell us. Notice verse 7. Isaac's old enough. Isaac understands. Isaac knows what's going on. And he looks and says, "Um, Dad, we've got two-thirds of what we need. We have fire. We have wood. We do not have an animal. Uh, It's kind of hard to have a burnt offering without something to burn. We need an an animal. We need the, the lamb. My kids are too old for this anymore, it seems like. Um... When your kids are little, you have to take them and get shots. Is there anything more difficult than taking a two-year-old to get his two-year-old shots? He's old enough to understand this is a needle. Or the four-year-old shots. Whatever, whatever age range it is. I've, I've forgotten. It's been way too many years. They're old enough to recognize that's a needle. It's sharp. It's about to go in me. I'm pretty sure that's going to hurt. They kick, they scream, they fuss, they cry, they argue, and you're not even in the building yet, right? I mean, just you haven't even gotten to the doctor's office yet, and they're already like, no, no needles for me. I don't do needles. I don't do shots. We even had a, 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 nurse, who, a nurse who wouldn't do it. <laughs> she, she's like, I like my patients too much, so she had somebody else come in and give the shots. She's like, I don't want my, I don't want my patients not to like me. The pain and struggle of and difficulty, quite honestly, of watching your two-year-old get shots. They, they don't understand. You can't explain. They don't get it. All they know is sharp needle, that's painful. And you can't explain it to them. Abraham's commanded not to take his son to get a shot, which is good for him, which will keep him alive, but instead to take his son and kill him on an altar. And Isaac gets it. We're missing something, Dad. We don't have everything we need for this offering. Abraham obeys. He he perseveres in that obedience. Notice verses 9 and 10. Even to the point, he stacks the wood, ties up his son, lays him on the altar, raises the knife, and before the knife could slit Isaac's throat, it's at that point that he's interrupted. As far as we're concerned, as far as God is concerned, Abraham actually killed his son. The actions, the point, he got far enough that he might as well have done it. And God stopped him. Why did Abraham go that far? Why did Abraham do that? Why did Abraham carry out that command, that mission, up to the very point of slitting his own son's throat? It's because he knew something. Abraham knows something that he can't see. 
He can't observe it with his eyes, but he knows something. Notice verse 5. He says, Hey men, you stay here with the donkey. The boy and I are going over there. We're going to worship. And notice the pronouns don't change. The boy and I will go over there and worship. And it doesn't say, and I will come back. He says, the boy and I will go over there, worship, and come back to you. In his mind, he's convinced Isaac's coming back with him. In his mind, he knows something that, that, that Abraham is, I mean, that Isaac is going to come back with him. In fact, verse 8, when, when Isaac recognizes the problem, when Isaac recognizes we don't have a lamb. Abraham said to him, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Now, I suppose we could write that off. As a parent who doesn't want his child to be afraid, so he's unwilling to tell him the truth. Right? It's entirely possible not suggesting that y'all have ever done this. I would ne- I'm not even really fully admitting that I've ever done it. But you can imagine the temptation, right, to not be totally forthright with your child. Where's the lamb? I mean, he could have said, you're the lamb, son. But he doesn't. He's not trying to hide from Isaac. He's not trying to hide the truth from Isaac. He firmly believes that God will provide a lamb. He knows and believes and trusts that God is fully able. In fact, this was our New Testament reading just a few minutes ago in Hebrews 11. Abraham's convinced that Isaac is coming back to life. He's convinced that even if he kills his son, God can bring him back from the dead. That's the explanation in Hebrews 11. Abraham knows something. But he knows something that eyes can't see. He knows only what faith can take hold of. Faith, the assurance of things unseen. Abraham sees... God's power, sovereignty, love, ability to provide for His people. Abraham acts because faith is assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Maybe Isaac is the seed of the woman promised back in Genesis 3. Maybe, maybe Isaac's death is exactly what's required for the crushing of the head of the serpent. Maybe Isaac's going to die and God's going to raise him from the dead. Maybe there will be a lamb when we get to Mount Moriah. Abraham knew something. But notice he didn't know the future. What he knows is not the future. You and I want to know the future before we step out in faith. That's not faith. That's walking by sight. Abraham doesn't exactly know what's going to happen. He doesn't know the future. He knows the character of the one who holds the future. That motivates his action. He doesn't know 
the future, what the future holds for Isaac. He knows the one who's in control of Isaac's future, and that's enough for him. It's because he knows God's character and power and authority, and that God could very well demand Isaac's blood and just as easily raise him from the dead when it's all said and done. His confidence in not, is not in the future, it's in the one who holds the future. How often do we try to know the future rather than the one who holds it? We'll step out only when I'm pretty sure I know what's going to happen. That's not faith. That's walking by sight. Truth is, to sort of make a a mini application, ladies' Bible study tomorrow night, it's a book study on the attributes, character of God. I, I forget which one is tomorrow night. I don't remember. I think I might have once known Part of the point is that that study, as you know God's character, as you know God's attributes more and better, that should strengthen our faith. That should strengthen our our living for Him. You aren't just studying the attributes of God for academic purposes. The more we know His character, the more we know of the attributes of God, the more comfortable and confident we can be and step out in faith, not because we know what's going to happen to us, but because we know the one, the character of the one who's in control of it all. We see tested faith, we see exercised faith, and finally we see rewarded faith. Don't, don't hear me saying that Abraham has earned salvation. If this is your first time here, if it's your first time here in a long time, please don't hear me saying that Abraham just earned God's favor in this chapter. Go back and find, well, pretty much any other sermon at Grace Covenant online and, and you'll, we'll put that to bed. We'll put that to rest right now. This isn't, this isn't a chapter saying well, that, that Abraham, because he obeyed God, God now grants him Salvation. We're not suggesting that Abraham is rewarded with salvation because of his obedience. We're saying the exact opposite. That Abraham's salvation leads to disobedience. That it's, it's his faith in Christ, it's his faith in God that actually leads to this obedience. That's exactly what James 2 says, right? That faith without works is dead? To, to use sort of Reformation language. We're saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. It's always accompanied by works and, and action. The example James uses, actually, in James 2, is Abraham offering his son Isaac on the altar. Abraham's not rewarded with salvation because of his obedience. But notice that there is reward. Look at verse 11. The angel of the Lord called to him, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing 
that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And it's only then that Abraham is aware of the ram caught in the thicket by his horns. Abraham doesn't see the ram, isn't aware of its presence until the angel of the Lord says, Stop! Don't lay your hand on him. Now I know that you fear God. Now I know your reverential fear and respect for God. He has his actions reveal. No, he didn't actually kill his son. But you know he was willing to. You know, he was there at that point. His fear of God has been proven by his actions. And only then does God intervene. Only then does God provide for Abraham all that he needs for worship. And only then does Abraham discover what you and I have known all along. This was a test. It was a test of his faith. Or look at verse 16 and verse 18. Angel of the Lord said, verse 16, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. The same promise that God has been giving, giving for now 30 plus years to Abraham. He reiterates right here, but surrounds it with two becauses. Because, Abraham, you have obeyed. Because, Abraham, I know that you trust God. Because, Abraham, you have not withheld your son. Because, Abraham, of your faith exercised, I will provide for you. Abraham's exercised faith is rewarded by God. Let me make a couple of applications from this passage. First is this, James to James's point in James 2, looking back even at this very chapter, faith isn't faith unless it's acted on. Faith isn't truly faith unless we act on it. We can say we have faith, but faith without works is dead. Are we stepping out in faith and trusting God to provide for us? A second application. What are you unwilling to give up for God? That's a legitimate question from this chapter. What are you unwilling to give up for God? What will you hold on to too tightly that you won't let it go in reverential fear of God? We're called to sacrificial giving. We're called to trust that God will provide. That was 
That was Abraham's recognition in that moment. And so he named the place the Lord will provide. And in fact, even in Moses' day, it was still said on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. How are we holding on to things that that proves we really don't trust God to provide for us? What are we holding on to too tightly? A third application. Abraham obeyed an expressly, clearly given command of God. He's given God's Word. He's given a a clear command from God Himself. And He would obey that Word. He would live by that command regardless of what anyone else around Him thought. Reformers followed the revealed will of God to the stake, to the rising tide, to the, the flames rising up around their bodies, to the gallows. How committed are we to following God's clearly given, divinely revealed will? What are those places where we go, well, I'll follow Him until my friends say something about me. I'll follow Him until it looks weird. I will follow Him until the culture around me says, that's really stupid, that's really immature, why are you doing that? We see the centrality and authority of God's Clearly revealed, divinely revealed will. A fourth application, and this is, this is random almost. Isaac's a teenager. Let's say he's 115. I mean, let's say he's 15. That makes Abraham 115. Real quick. Which one's faster? Which one's stronger? If I'm a 15-year-old and my 115-year-old dad wants to tie me up and bind me on an altar, he's got to catch me first. I can outrun him. I can run longer. I can run faster. Isaac could not have laid on that altar had it not been for his obedience to his father, his submission to his father, and at the same time, Embracing his father's faith. We see Isaac's faith and trust. His obedience to his earthly father and his his faith in his heavenly father. Lastly, how does God know that Abraham fears him? How does God know that Abraham fears God? That's, That's verse 12. We read in in verse 12, Don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. God is omniscient. He knows everything. What is it about this passage that reveals, that makes clear that Abraham fears God? What's his action? The evidence is seen right there in his obedience, even to the point of raising a knife to his son, bound son's throat. The evidence is right there in his actions. He's willing to offer his one and only son, 
Isaac, whom he loves, he's willing to give that son to God. Isn't that what Paul writes? If God didn't spare his own son, if God was willing to do what Abraham was asked to do, there's Michael Card for you. What Abraham was asked to do, he's done. God's done. Nobody stopped God's hand. Nobody stopped the son at the altar. No one said, wait, 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 hold on. There's a ram caught in the thicket. Paul says, if, if he's willing to freely give us, if he wouldn't spare his own son, how will he not freely give us all things? We trust God to save us from our sin. We trust God to, to offer the perfect, spotless, sinless Lamb, His one and only Son, to, to atone for our sins. And then we don't trust Him to provide for our needs. It's an argument from the greater to the lesser. If He's given you His Son, He'll give you everything. If He's already given you His, his Son, what could He possibly have that He would say, no, 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 this is too important to me. I've given you my Son. You can have it all. Take the rest. This passage reminds us that God does indeed provide. He has provided a lamb for us. He has provided a lamb who would suffer and bleed and die in our place so that we, like Isaac, might walk, might go free. And if he's given his son, we know he'll give us anything. We know that He loves us enough that there's nothing He would withhold from us. We know that God will provide. Oh, that we might be the place that goes around Athens and says, because it's said in Athens, the Lord will provide. Let's pray together. Father, You have provided for our salvation. You have accomplished our salvation in giving us Your one and only Son. The only name under heaven given to men by which we might be saved. And if You've freely given us Your Son, what could You possibly hold back? Father, we pray that You would grow our faith that we would see You as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. And that that would, would increase our willingness to follow Your commands wherever they may lead. And Father, we pray that in all of it, the honor and glory wouldn't be given to us, wouldn't be given to Grace Covenant Church, but would belong to Christ. For it's in His name that we pray. Amen.